Believe it or not, in another life, I managed inventory in a warehouse. That's right. I accepted shipments, folded t-shirts, put everything into an Excel spreadsheet. And man, I really wish I would have had something like Sortly around to help me through. Sortly is an inventory management software that helps businesses track their inventory, assets, supplies, materials, tools, and so much more. It's a mobile cloud-based solution that streamlines and modernizes every aspect of tracking inventory. Cross-device syncing allows teams to update inventory from multiple locations in real time, whether you're in the office, in the field, anywhere. And Sortly is proud to serve a range of industries and use cases. Sortly is the number one rated inventory management app where you can track and manage your business's inventories, supplies, materials, parts, tools, equipment, anything else that you need to help your business run smoothly. Sortly can be used on any device and syncs automatically across all users and devices. So it doesn't matter where you are, the inventory seamlessly updates in real time across your entire team, which is perfect for businesses with multiple locations. Track every detail about your items as they move across your business, where they're going, how many there are, the cost of them, the condition, and any other custom detail you choose. You can even set custom low stock alerts to remind you when it's time to reorder, and it ensures that you are never running out of stock. And thanks to Sortly's in-app barcode scanner, you can create a barcode or a QR code system for your entire inventory right from your smartphone. No extra equipment required. Save your business time and money by ditching spreadsheets and switching to Sortly. Go to Sortly.com and use the promo code ONE, that's O-N-E, all caps, to get an additional 10% off our annual advanced or ultra plans for your first year. That's Sortly.com and use the promo code O-N-E, all caps, for an additional 10% off. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. And I'm Sarah Hendricks. Adam, good afternoon. Thanks so much for being here. How are you guys? Doing great. We're doing great. Well, welcome to The One Thing Podcast. And Adam is, and Dr. Adam Bandelli, excuse me, is an organizational psychologist, and he's the visionary founder and managing director of the Bandelli & Associates which is a firm of leadership advisors that use the power of relational intelligence to build authentic, dynamic partnerships with clients to unleash their true potential. And Adam has a new book that's come out and it's the five essential skills you need to build life-changing relationships. Did I get that right? Yeah, the, it's the title intelligence. is Relational Intelligence. Relational Intelligence, the five essential skills you need to build life-changing relationships. Oh, right. I was trying to go to the... <laughs> the meaty part of it, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, man, thanks so much for being here. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a leadership advisor and business psychologist by training. Um, as you guys can see, I don't know if your listeners can see, but on the wall behind me, I have a bunch of Air Jordans. My first kind of segue into psychology and leadership was through basketball. I played basketball in high school and college. And I became, when I knew I wasn't going to the NBA, my be like Mike dream ended. Um, I knew that I wanted to really study one question that has kept me on my whole career is what make great leaders great. Mm-hmm. And so I had a really great mentor my first year, an undergraduate who took me under his wing. He was an organizational psychologist. And he really just kind of taught me the skills of being a psychologist, kind of sparked my interest in wanting to go on and get my PhD. Um, And the origins of relational intelligence started around then, too. It was at the time in the mid-90s where Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence, came out. 
Wow, and we started doing research. That was, you know, relational intelligence drew out of my passion for EQ and studying it and dissecting it over the next 10 years. Um, so we did a lot of that together. I ended up going to the University of South Florida to do my PhD. Uh, my dissertation focused on relational intelligence. So I created the framework and the five skills uh, almost 15, 20 years ago. Um, like most PhD students, they just want to get the dissertation done as fast as possible. Um, so I put it on a shelf, but I started applying these five skills both personally and professionally since my mid-20s. And so I started to see on the professional side really great impact with my colleagues and building strong relationships, but then also with our clients and working with CEOs and senior executives. And then on the personal front, I started to see transformation take place in my romantic relationship, in my friendships with my family. Um, and so, you know, about 10 years into my career, um, I had a strong desire to build my own firm. Um, a lot of the folks who do this type of work are mostly older white men and white women. And so as someone multicultural, multi-ethnic, I wanted to build a firm of people who kind of embodied that. And so I founded my firm in 2016, Bandelli and Associates. And to your point, you know, we really focus on helping people and helping leaders bring out their authentic selves. Because when you do that, you really tap into what you can become and how you can grow as a leader. And so we've been working now for the last seven or eight years with a number of different leaders across industries, from startups to Fortune 100 companies, really around this idea of how you can maximize and grow your business through the relationships that you build with others. So I don't want to derail the conversation, but we have to go back to something, which is the University of South Florida. Uh, yes. You're a Bulls fan, I'm assuming then. I was there the year they were like number two in the nation for like a week. And then oh. they got beat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a Golden Knight, so University okay. of Central Florida. So Yeah, yeah. I'm an FAU owl, so we're all Florida. Okay, yeah, we've got the the, the three middle range schools. <laughs> so, Adam, I think something that would be really helpful for the listener is to give us the the verses, right? Relational intelligence versus emotional intelligence. What's the yeah. difference between the two? Yeah, it's a great question. Really, we look at the relational intelligence and we define it as the ability to successfully connect with people and build strong, long-lasting relationships. Emotional intelligence, we define as the ability to understand your emotions, the emotions of others, and how to manage emotions effectively. So the two frameworks are completely different. Uh, what I found in my research early in my career around emotional intelligence and EQ is that leaders can use it for positive or negative purposes. So I can use emotions to elicit and inspire you and to galvanize you around the mission and our vision, or I can also use emotions to manipulate you or to control you or to have top-down authority or be a narcissist or Machiavellian. Um, so EQ can be used for both purposes. And as I was doing research, I said, if that is a skill set that can be used for good or bad, there needs to be a skill set that really taps into how great leaders build long-term relationships with their people, with their clients, with their customers. And so that led me down the journey to look at, okay, what skills, if EQ can be used both sides and an inspirational leader can use it or a narcissistic leader can use it, is there a skill set that the inspirational leaders do? Is there a way that they operate that makes them so inspirational besides what they do on a stage in front of 5,000 people? And that led me to do the five skills for my dissertation. We did the research behind it to see that, in fact, these two constructs from a psychological statistical standpoint are different. Um, but that's kind of the origins and how the two are separate. Yeah. And I guess still connected in some way, though, right? It, yeah. So emotional intelligence is part of our framework. So this is the second skill we'll probably get into is called understanding others. For me to understand either one of you, I have to understand my emotions, 
your emotions and how to manage emotions in that dynamic. So EQ is part of relational intelligence, but it's just one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I was going to say, as a, as a leader, it's just one one piece of your success puzzle, which is your your yeah. emotional right. intelligence. That's right. so, so take us through the five skills, because now I'm curious, like what when yeah. it comes to relational intelligence, what makes up a great leader and yeah. an inspirational leader? Our team member, yeah. I guess. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a relationally intelligent leader practices these five skills. The first is establishing rapport. And this is your ability to use energy to create an initial positive connection with another person. So you think about things like making a good first impression, finding common ground, the use of nonverbals and body gestures, eye contact, all these things. If you use your energy in the right way, you can make that strong connection. Uh, I think we've all experienced people or managers or bosses who walked into a room and sucked the life out of the room because of their presence. And we have other times when we've been around an inspirational leader. So the energy they use when they first meet people, that matters. Uh, The second skill, understanding others. This is the ability to be intentional about putting in the time and effort needed to get to know others on a deep level. So here's where EQ plays a role because you need to know your emotions, but it's bigger than that because it involves being a good active listener. It also involves being curious and inquisitive. And then it also involves your ability to put yourself in other people's shoes. So showing empathy. Um, The third skill is embracing individual differences. This is really the diversity and inclusion bucket. And it's the ability to be authentic in acknowledging and accepting that everyone comes from different backgrounds and experiences. And so great relationally intelligent leaders show up in an authentic and vulnerable way to model the behaviors that others can follow to build that inclusive culture. The fourth skill is the most important skill in our framework. That's developing trust. And this is the ability to be vulnerable and risk being exposed to the actions and behaviors of others. So when we think about trust at our firm, we think about really four aspects. Before you can trust anyone else, you have to know thyself. We call it the mirror test in my book, where if you don't understand how you're wired, what your values are, what you do well at your best, and kind of what your blind spots are when you're stressed, you're not going to be able to build trust with other people. If you do that, then there are factors that come into play when trust is developed. We call them the five C's, but they're things like competence, commitment, consistency, character, and courage. And so that makes up the trust bucket. And then the last skill is cultivating influence. And this is the ability to have a positive and meaningful impact on the lives of others. So a lot of people, when they hear influence, they think of a negative connotation. I'm going to get you to do what I want, Sarah. Or I'm going to get you, Chris, to do the outcomes that are important to me. When we talk about relational intelligence and cultivating influence, it's about me wanting to bring the best out of you. It's about me seeing potential in you that maybe you don't even see and helping you and pouring into you and coaching and mentoring you as your manager, as your leader to become that version of you. Now, are all five skills created equally? Or is there? Yeah, that's they, a great question. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So they kind of work in a lockstep order. So you can't build trust if you have an established rapport. Um, but I think the 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 one that really unlocks the whole skill set in terms of talk about life changing influence is developing trust. Uh, if I was to ask both of you, like, who are the closest relationships that you have in your life, personally and professionally? It's probably the people you trust the most. Mm-hmm. And so that's the paramount skill that I think differentiates great leaders from kind of the average ones is they're able to build that trust with people. Creates a whole different dynamic inside of a team when trust doesn't exist. People are on oh. guard. You don't have clear communication, like you're playing maybe even political games. It's, yeah. it's just a different animal, right? Yeah. I can give you a great example from a client we worked with a couple of years ago. Um, this company was an insurance company and they brought in a leader to lead their analytics and digital practice. Most companies now have done that in the last decade. And this guy came in with the mandate to build out analytics for the organization. Um, But to do that, he had to get buy-in from all the business units. 
And his boss pretty much told him, go and build this. And so the way that he approached it was he walked into meetings with his peers and said, I know what you need. I'm going to tell you why we're building this. Just take my advice or just take my point of view. He didn't solicit any input. He didn't show up as curious. He didn't ask questions. They brought me in when he was having problems getting things done because no one wanted to work with him. Mm. So he had created a toxic culture for his team where people didn't value what they did because he didn't spend the time to develop trust with them. Such a good point. So they kind of, like you said, work in lockstep, but there's a sequence to them. So if you go from one to five, is it, if you're a new leader transitioning into a role just for someone to relate, would it be best to kind of start with number one and work your way into the other? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about the evolution of a relationship. So I can think about it in like a romantic dating sense. There, there are kind of stages to dating. You have the honeymoon phase, which are like the first three or four months where everything is great. That's where establishing rapport and understanding others is really important. You know, making eye contact on a first date or making eye contact in an interview for a job. Those things around building rapport become really critical. As you get to unpack someone in a romantic relationship, for example, there's the reality phase where you say, oh, shit, what did I get myself into? That's really about kind of understanding and embracing who each person is authentically. You know, there's going to be good, bad and ugly about me and good, bad and ugly about my partner. Can both of you get to that point? And then if you move from reality to the adjustment phase in dating, it becomes more about vulnerability. Can I bring my true self to the relationship? Can my spouse or my partner do the same thing? And then lasting intimacy or marriage, that's cultivating influence. That's me wanting to bring the best out of my partner and him or her wanting to do the same for me. There's so a, that's kind of, that makes total fun. sense. I, I think it's a better description than what I'm going to share, but there's something from a team development standpoint that I've, I've, I was introduced to years ago, but it's the forming, storming, yeah. norming, and performing framework. Yeah, like, this does a nice job of actually going a little bit deeper into some of the components. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is there a situation where a great leader, an inspirational leader has maybe two or three of these things, but needs to cultivate, you know, four and five, or they've got, you know, one of the pieces of the skills, but mm -hmm. don't have all of them? Like, how... How does that leader, and I'm assuming that people uh, listening are probably like, that's me. I've, yeah. I've got a few of those, but I need yeah. a couple more. Yeah. You know, what advice would you have for them to really hone and cultivate some of these skills when they're trying to in, in, yeah. um, enhance their relational intelligence? So we'll take embracing individual differences and developing trust. And I'll compare men to women leaders. I think women senior executives that we work with are much more empathetic than their male counterparts. They, no. listen more than they, <laughs> <laughs> they listen more than they speak, and they have a greater degree of comfort of being vulnerable with their people. Men, on the other hand, at least the ones we've worked with, are more likely to be prideful or arrogant, almost as if they're blessing their team if they're around them versus actually finding value in what their team does for them. And so a lot of the senior executive men that I coach and work with, it's about how can they find a way to be authentic and be vulnerable in a way that will not only build deeper relationships with their direct reports and people, but model the type of behaviors that will strengthen that culture for their team. Uh, I've been working with this one leader for two years now, and he grew up in an organization that was much more top-down hierarchical. And so he had a certain way that he was taught and he was mentored and he was coached. And now he's working with millennials and Gen Zs who don't value the same things that he valued as a Gen X. Mm. And so our work has really focused on where can you find the moments where you can share a story from your past where you failed or where something didn't go as planned so that your people know that, hey, you are human, that you make mistakes, and then they feel that they can do the same. And when they do, if they do share that, do you encourage them to provide support so that you can strengthen the bonds on the team? 
There's something I want to go back to and and you you have this as a core value on your website, the digging yeah. that we've done, um, is authenticity and yeah. being authentic and bringing your authentic self to work. Yeah. Can you speak to what that looks like? Yeah, yeah. So I can speak to kind of just in my own life and my own journey, because for me, I've been doing this work now for 20 years, but I always wore hats or masks. There was Adam's hat when he was a consultant. There was my hat or mask that I wore with my friends, with my family. For me, unlocking authenticity was about just being comfortable in my own skin. Um, three years ago, and this all happened to me three years ago, I would have never had 200 pairs of shoes behind me in front of my clients because I thought they'd think I was weird or, you know, and I'm a sneakerhead, but I still, that's a part of my identity. Yeah. And so once I got to understanding that, wait a minute, my clients find more value when I can be myself, where I can joke and I can kind of bring all of me together, my faith, my workouts, my health, all the things that make me unique and make me me. When I was able to bring that to the table and put it out there in a way that resonated with people, it made them want to do the same with me. I have people that I'm coaching now. I've been coaching for a decade and our relationship has gone to the next level in the last 12 to 18 months because I took the step in being vulnerable. You can read it in the book. There's a lot of things that are important to me and my firm around mental health awareness, addiction, Mm -hmm. things that happened in my own personal life over the years that I shared in the book and that I share with my clients. And it really strengthens those bonds. So I wouldn't say your audience needs to be vulnerable and put themselves out there, but are you comfortable in your own skin? And are you comfortable putting that out to the world? I think this is so important too, because like my parents in growing up, always told me like, keep your nose clean. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before where they're like, you know, you go in, you do your job and you go home and you don't like, don't be friends. Don't fraternize with the the people that you work with because you don't want to mix business and pleasure. And the problem with that advice as it has transcended time is people aren't their authentic selves when they come to work. And not only that, but they are very much can be inauthentic. Um, and I, I, this, particularly sticks to me because my number one personal core value is authenticity. And I I choose jobs yeah. where I know I can be my full self. And I love the idea that you're bringing to the table, which is great leaders follow that same ideology. I think it's so important. Yeah, that's, I mean, I started my firm because of that. Um, the firm that I worked with, I learned so much for the folks who've been doing this for longer than me, but I always felt like I had to show up a certain way. I had to be in my three-piece suit or, you know, consulting Adam had to put his hat on or Dr. Bandelli had to show up. And Dr. Bandelli is something I did 15 years ago when I got my degree. I'm Adam. I'm Adam with 200 pairs of shoes. I'm Adam like that. That's me. And so for me to kind of realize that, um, you know, it, it changed things for me. And then when I was able, and it was funny, like I didn't plan on writing this book. Like I said, I did my dissertation 15, 20 years ago. I've applied it and I use these skills. But when I unlocked that authenticity, I was like, this is something I need to share to other people. Like, it's okay to be you. And if you practice these skills, you'll be able to be you and do it in a way like I'm not going to build trust the way you do it, Sarah, or the way you do it, Chris, but you being authentic, you'll build trust in that way. And that will resonate with people. Here I was uh, calling you and emphasizing Dr. Adam at the top of the podcast. So sorry about that. My clients will joke it's Dr. B. They'll call Dr. B. That's what they'll joke with. All right. <laughs> well, at the at the one thing we emphasize the concept of dominoes in the sense that it can unleash you know, exponential success over time. So if you line up your priorities like dominoes and your goals that knock them over. And it sounds like in the case of authenticity for you, that was somewhat of a lead domino, right? Like the domino you knocked over that made being establishing rapport, understanding others or others understanding you easier yeah. and, yeah. you know, in, in developing trust. And so that seems like identifying that for yourself was something that made everything else easier. Yeah. And I would encourage all your listeners, like 
I don't think we're recreating things or doing rocket science. Like if you sit down and really do a self-inventory, whether it's working with an executive coach or working with a therapist or working with a life coach, if you do that deep work on yourself and you kind of figure out A, what's important to you, what's your values, B, what do you look like on your best day? And then C, what are your blind spots or derailers when you're stressed? If you have a good understanding of that, you'll be able to walk into most situations and show up authentically. I think you'll be able to build relationships quicker with people. Um, and you'll also be able to do it and have fun while you're doing it. Like, I love working with my team. We built a firm that's fun and dynamic. Um, and I learn stuff from my people every day. I mean, they, they, I have experts around me who know things that I don't. And we grow and we build together. That's great. I think it might be what you, you called it the mirror test, but how can somebody calibrate where they are in relation to these five skills and kind of stack themselves up? It's like, okay, I want to grow. Yeah, um, yeah. So I will tell you two things. I will tell you right now, the best thing that I can say is to pick up a copy of the book and read about them and kind of do a self inventory. I've been journaling now for the last like five or six years of my life. And it's really, it sounds so basic. We're taught that in elementary school to journal. But for me, I started doing it January, 2020. And first thing when I wake up, just writing one page in a journal and within 30 days, it kind of unlocked writer's block for me. And I was able to write my first book, What Every Leader Needs, which led me to write my second book. And so journaling and just getting your thoughts on paper and giving yourself writing prompts. You know, what's most important to me at 44 in life? Or what's most important to me? Or what's the legacy that I want to leave 10 years from now? So that would be the thing I would say immediately. Um, we are building our relational intelligence test. So I'm sure you guys have taken the Myers-Briggs or the DISC. Sure. In January, you'll be able to take our relational intelligence test. Oh, awesome. Find out about that at our website. And so the really cool thing about our tests, it's not like some of these personality tests where you, you know, I like to go to parties or I like to listen to classical music. We're going to be taking people through actual problems that are related to how leaders would handle situations where you have to kind of pick a response, almost like a critical thinking test, but mm -hmm. it will kind of show you where you stand on each of the five skills and where you can make improvements. That's awesome. Very cool. I'm, I'm excited. I want to take this test. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you guys know as soon as it's up. It's on the website now. You can learn about it and kind of some of the background for it, but it'll be live in January. Uh, is there is there an opportunity for like a, a team to engage in it in a way that's yeah. meaningful to share across the team? Like like you yeah, would yeah. Briggs or something like that? Yeah, so we do something called the relational intelligence experience at our firm. And what we'll basically do is there's kind of three components to it. There's kind of pre-offsite. So everything is built around a two-day immersive experience where the leader and all the members of the team will take the relational intelligence tests. They'll spend time with one of our advisors and kind of learn about themselves and they'll get some feedback. You're strong in developing trust or you can improve on your rapport building skills. Then the team collectively will go into the two-day offsite where they'll learn the five skills, but they'll really get to practice them immediately in the session. And so as an example, we have something that we do in the second skill, understanding others. It's called Moments That Matter, where we have leaders talk through a success story that happened in their life and someone that helped them get, like, get that dream or that accomplishment. And then on the flip side, a setback or failure and a lesson learned that they took from that. And then they'll go around the room and share those stories and the bonds that are built just from doing that one exercise kind of speaks to what they get from that. Then when they come out of the offsite in the two days, each person will then meet with their coach again to build an action plan. You know, what are the two or three goals I'm going to work on for myself now that I got some individual feedback on the front end and I was able to do some work with my team as well. That's awesome. Moments that matter. I like that. Very cool. Yeah. And that's in the yeah, understanding others that makes sense. For as a leader, you're giving some transparency into your yeah. and then you get to know more of your team and that's a great way to ultimately then develop trust right that's right that's right absolutely are you hiring what type of role are you hiring for 
Maybe you need to hire someone to wear many hats, which can be challenging. Or you might have a simple position to fill, but it's taking forever to find someone who's a great fit for your company. Whether you need to hire a civil engineer in New York, a pediatric nurse in Nebraska, or an attorney in Colorado, or even a mascot in Missouri, ZipRecruiter can help you find qualified candidates fast. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com one thing. From accountant to zoologist and everything in between, ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right experience for your job and presents them to you. Then you can invite your top choices to apply. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Try it now for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash one thing. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash O-N-E-T-H-I-N-G. ZipRecruiter.com slash one thing. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well, can we go through um, maybe a little bit uh, in order, if that makes sense, and each of those five and get a little bit more context from you on some of the those pieces that we talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with uh, establishing rapport. Um, so again, that really, we define it as the ability to use energy to create an initial positive connection with others. So energy is the big word there. How do you use your energy to build connections with others? Um, it's about the enthusiasm that you bring to conversations. Are you leaning in? Are you excited? Um, things like making a good first impression. They always say dress to impress. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. So your appearance matters. How you draw people into a conversation. You know, the words that you use. Words can draw people in or can push people away. Um, Does vulnerability matter in that as well? 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of the the tone, everything that comes into kind of how you're communicating. We have a big saying at our firm. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. Yeah. Because people remember how you make them feel. They may not remember an idea or a thought, but they'll remember how you make them feel. And so that's really powerful. Um, and then you have to think about kind of our lens and how we view the world. All of us have our own self-perceptions about kind of how we see ourselves, our self-confidence, our esteem. We also have perceptions about others, kind of different groups or stereotypes, things like that. And then we also have unconscious biases. I don't like to be around tall people or short people, or, you know, there's just things like that that we bring to the mix. And so understanding what your kind of wiring is. I'm sure you both have seen the iceberg analogy where you kind of have the top piece and then the big bottom underneath the water. That's what it's like to kind of understand our self-perceptions and our perceptions of people and unconscious biases. All those things show up when you're using energy to initially connect with someone. Yeah. The, the, we know the iceberg. It's part of, we, we use it a lot so that that relates. And it's, so there's definitely establishing the rapport, but then there's there's something about maintaining it too, right? Like keeping that going because it's great to set a, a, a good first impression, but then you need to continue to sustain that over time. Yeah. And that goes into understanding others. Yeah. So if you want to be able to sustain that, you have to be intentional about putting in the time and effort and you need to be intentional about how you do it, about where you do it. Um, but you should genuinely want to continue to learn about that person. And I think that's the difference that separates relationally intelligent leaders from average leaders is they're not trying, most people will try to like get you to know more about them, or these are my accomplishments, or this is my worth. A relationally intelligent leader will go from that next level of rapport building to, let me hear your story, Sarah. What are the things that make you unique? Why is authenticity important to you? Mm-hmm. But Chris, what's your story and what are the pieces there? So that's a really important part. And then, as I mentioned earlier, there's really four components to understanding others. It's first having good EQ and really being able to use that to understand how people relate. It's having active listening skills. Uh, I make this mistake all the time as an extrovert. Like I listen to someone with the intention to respond without actually fully taking in what they say. 
And I think a lot of the leaders that I work with who are uber extroverts are the same way. And so active listening is a piece of it. Goes a step deeper than that is being curious. Are you asking probing questions? Are you really trying to tap into what that person knows? When we do, we do a lot of work at our firm around senior executive selection. So we help companies hire leaders. The core part of our process is what we call the leadership experience interview, where we spend three hours to hear a leader's story. And I'm training some of our new employees on it now. I may ask you a question, Sarah, tell me about where you grew up. And you'll start answering the question behind the question. What values did you learn from your parents? What values show up now with your own kids that you didn't take from them and the ones that you did take from them? So it's the probing questions and being curious that really gets you to tap in to learn about someone. And then as they're doing that and sharing things about themselves, can you put yourself in their shoes? Can you be empathetic towards what they're going through? Understanding others is not like rapport building, where rapport building can happen in the first, second or third time you meet someone. Understanding others takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's more of a process. I can't tell you the number of times that that I've worked with either team members or... um, you know, colleagues over the years where just take like the initial perception was different than when you got to know them and understand them, but was really at the root of what they were doing. And I, I think as a, as a leader, how many times that's happened for me where at the surface, I'm like, my reaction is to go left here because yeah. this clearly what they're representing is, is this thing. And then you dig in, you get to know them, you seek to understand what's going yeah. on, be curious. Yeah. Then you find out it's actually... This, this background, the history, a previous job, or whatever it might be that causes them to react this way. And it's hiding the true skill behind that, yeah. that, that facade that they have up. And it's like, wow, once you get back there, you can communicate with them differently. They, then it, it starts to cascade through your other, your other uh, four or three pieces here. But it's, like, it's, it's fascinating when you just seek to understand first. Yeah, I'm a big Marvel fan. And so when you learn the superhero's origin story, you yep. get to understand why they operate the way they do today. Can you share? Do you mind sharing that? Not to put you on the spot, but my origin story, the the, the, the superhero's origin story. Yeah. I mean, so again, for us, when we do it, it, it's in the interview process where we have with clients where we'll sit down and say, you know, we want, I don't, I don't want to know about the last role that you have. I want to know about where you grew up and I want to know what values you learned from your parents and what values and how you built relationships with your siblings. And I don't just want to know where you went to school, but I want to know the two or three takeaways from school. And how did you build relationships there? So we're wanting to know bits and pieces. Most people go on job interviews. They're answering questions about what they do. We want to know about questions about who you are. And mm-hmm. so that's how we get at the origin story piece is just talking about your journey and the things that shaped you and the things that what we really try to focus on too in these things, there are more lessons learned, I think, from failure and setback. I've seen it in my own life personally. I've seen it in the lives of my employees that if you help someone unpack that, in a coaching setting or in a mentor-mentee setting, it really can unlock and unleash them in a great way to say, wow, I didn't realize that because I failed in this area, it gave me perseverance or grit to push on to the next thing. Or I didn't realize if I didn't overcome this struggle or this challenge, that it would set me up to help other people who may be struggling with the same thing. You know, you use the super ha- superhero analogy and it just jogged my memory as memory as you're walking us through this, which is there's also a fine line where you can potentially use this for good, not evil. And it goes back to emotional intelligence and being able to play both sides. You know, have you experienced circumstances where you could tell a leader was, you know, m- maybe using it to their advantage and 
and hearing these origin stories and then thinking in their head, like, oh, I know how to control this person. If I twist this a little bit further and pull this a little harder, it's move them into the direction that I want them to move versus that like positivity. Yeah. So the research that I did for my master's thesis before I went on to USF, we looked at Machiavellianism, which Mm. is basically the idea that leaders are not inherently bad people, but they can use people as means to an end. And what we found is, is that EQ can be used for Machiavellian selfish purposes, but leaders will only succeed in the short term. Maybe you'll get a quarter of success or for three or six months, I can push the buttons that make Sarah perform higher. But at a certain point, the relationships will sever or there'll be damage done to the relationship. And a Machiavellian or a narcissistic leader, really a self-serving leader, is not going to succeed long term. And that's what separates, that's what really differentiates a relationally intelligent leader from kind of average or self-serving leaders. It's where are you focusing yourself on what I need as a leader, on what my people need as my direct reports. Yeah, it sounds like a high burnout environment or you know, some some like classic sales type environment. It was what comes yeah. from it, it it feels like that, you know, when we start to talk about like an understanding others and then acknowledging their individual differences, we're kind of on the other side of it, but there's a transition that's been happening, you know, broadly speaking, around hey, like classic mindset in business is adapt to me as a leader, adapt to my business, adapt to this this thing into more of a, hey, let's understand you, what your strengths are, and work together to create a net greater positive result. And it feels like that's we're still kind of in the middle, but on yeah. the latter side. Yeah, I agree with you. That taps into the third skill, embracing individual differences. Um, when I kind of grew up and when I started working, you you kind of towed the line and exactly what you said, Chris, you kind of do and adapt to your leader because that's the person in charge. I think what we're finding now more with Gen Zs who are entering the workforce in bigger numbers now, and by 2028, they'll make up 45 to 50% of the workforce. Um, they value things differently. They value social responsibility. They value authenticity. They don't want to give that up because of a company. They, are no, they have no problem leaving a company if it doesn't align with their values. And so it no longer can be, how do you direct report align with me? It's about what can I as a leader and as an employer offer you to make you feel like you're part of this culture? And so when we think about embracing individual differences, it's really the ability to be authentic and acknowledging and accepting everyone on your team, everyone, whether it's race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, age, everyone brings a unique aspect to who they are as a leader, as an employee. And as an employer, or as a leader of the team, the authenticity really shows up here. And it's not just about getting bodies and seats. You know, we look at what happened with social justice in 2020. It was like, okay, let's get a black or brown person in a chair. That's not what embracing individual differences is. It's about creating the conditions through authenticity where people can be their true selves, whatever that means for them, to build an inclusive culture. And so those are the real peak aspects. And the piece that we talk about when we talk about diversity at our firm, it's really diversity of thought. If Mm -hmm. I create the conditions for both of you to be authentic and you both show up and you bring aspects of who you are, and everyone else does the same thing. We now have a table of people who think differently. And what research shows in business psychology is that that leads to higher levels of innovation. It leads to higher levels of creativity and it leads to better levels of problem solving. So it's really about diversity of thought, not just diversity of color or race or ethnicity. You know, I love that. And there's individual differences that are your kind of innate differences, like all the things you just mentioned, also skill set that draws from that and and the differences. But do you see value in acknowledging individuals' potential goals and differences, like where they like where they want to go, not just who they are? Yeah, and yeah. Valuable I mean, piece of that. 
that's all. I mean, again, if you're a relationally intelligent leader, you're building individual relationships with your people. And some people are going to have different goals. You're going to have the person who's comfortable with the status quo. I kind of didn't do my time. And you're going to have the people who aspire to be in your role <laughs> sooner yeah. rather than later. And so it's, it's it, you know, through the individual relate, and that's the unique part of relational intelligence. I wrote this book to give people a blueprint on how to build relationships. But how you do it, Sarah, is going to be very different than Chris, can be very different than me. But we're all going to have to establish rapport. We're all going to have to build trust. Um, and so as a leader, as someone running a business, figuring out what the why is for everyone is important. Yeah. I have one employee now that works for me. And one of his whys is he wants to bring relational intelligence back to China. He wants to take the idea and bring it to his culture and where he grew up. And so I, the way that I approach working with him is different than someone else who values a paycheck and just wants to put in the time and do great consulting work. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. And no, like their why is a great way to frame it. And thinking about, you know, if you're distributing the, like the, I don't want to say tasks, but just like the priorities of your team across the team in a way that you're, you're trying to get everybody oriented on what they're going to perform best in, it's very meaningful to consider what they want to accomplish so that, you know, one person's might see something as an obligation where another person might be like, that's for me. And just knowing, you know, deeply enough about your team. So you know where to pass yeah. things around. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. Is there any connection and it would probably be a negative or positive for a, a great leader to be an empath, right? We were just talking about empathy, like being an empath in a, in a podcast before this, but you know, you really have to understand people's emotions at a, at a level, but there's pros and cons to that where they might, take on those emotions and carry them with them through the rest of the day versus, you know, being able to compartmentalize and having those conversations. Have you seen anything in your studies that, that would prove that that type of a person would thrive? Yeah. I think the big differentiating factor for someone who has great empathy is their ability to manage their emotions. So if I have great empathy and I'm having a conversation with you and you're sharing a story and I'm putting myself in your shoes and I'm empathizing with you, can I walk into the next meeting and kind of do my woosah moment for a second and say, okay, I need to now get ready for this next thing. And can I take that sadness or that anxiety or that worry, whatever emotion I experienced with you and put it on the side and kind of show up engaged or inspirational, however I need to be for the next meeting. So adaptability, being agile, being nimble. I think that's really important. I think every leader should have empathy. Mm-hmm. Some leaders have it more than others, but do you know when to take that and put it on the shelf to step into the next thing you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said Woosah moment. I say that too. <laughs> I can't remember what movie that's from, but it's that uh, Black and uh, Bad Boys. Bad Boys. That's it. Yeah. I should know that. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. So. so individual differences, we acknowledge them. It's important for so many reasons to connect with your team, to make sure they're empowered and working on the things that, that help them grow. And also that you guys can communicate at a high level, which takes us to number five with, or number four, which is to develop trust. Develop trust, exactly. And so again, we now have the conditions through which everyone can be authentic. So now as the leader, are you modeling, are you extending trust versus demanding it? Historically, I think a lot of organizations and a lot of leaders, you have to earn my trust. And what we're seeing today in 2022, I have to extend trust and model it so that my people trust me and then it can be a two-way street. And so we define it as being vulnerable and taking a risk to be exposed to the actions and behaviors of others. To do that, I talked about this already initially, you have to know thyself. You know, you have to be able to get an understanding of what's under the hood, how you're wired. Um, to do that, it creates the conditions for you to be psychologically safety is important for the people around you. So creating that comes from understanding yourself. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there are aspects of trust 
the five C's that we call them. So competence, for example, can I trust that you will do your job and do it to the best of your abilities because you have the skills? Commitment. Can I trust that you will honor the commitments that you've made to me or the organization and vice versa? Consistency. Can I trust that you'll show up the same way day in and day out for the goals of the organization? Character. Do you have strong ethics and integrity? Do they align with the values of our organization? And then courage. Do you have the ability to share and talk through the things that need to be said and not just tell people what they may want to hear, not what they need to hear? And so manager, leader, direct reports, employees, that's a two-way street back and forth. I think the thing that really differentiates how we view developing trust is this additional idea called intentional generosity. Mm -hmm. And so intentional generosity is as the leader, are you going out of your way to really pour into your people? And that could be different things for different people. It could be having a mentoring conversation. It could be giving someone an opportunity to take on increased role or scope or responsibility. It could be having another member of your team shadow you on a meeting you're having. Are you intentionally giving them things to help them grow? And if you do that, you'll start to see your people will work harder. Our research has shown at least to higher levels of employee engagement, organizational commitment, job satisfaction. And then we get to this outcome of relational reciprocity. So if as a leader, you're intentionally generous, your people will start to see that and model it. And then you have reciprocal relationships where both people are investing into the relationship. That's awesome. I I love those five C's. And thinking about something you'd said earlier when it comes to consistency, one, one that can be challenging from time to time is that energy level to build connection that you talked about. And, um, establishing rapport, maybe even the early stages, but maybe it's more of understanding others, just showing up with the same energy for your team consistently over time, regardless of whether or not you just, you know, ate it in a meeting before, whatever is going on for you. It's just like hitting the timeout, having a woosah moment, give a hundred percent, you know, and having that consistency can be challenging as a leader. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been on this journey now. So I started writing the book January 2021. And what I've realized now writing two books is writing the book is half the battle. The other half is kind of marketing it and advertising it and building a campaign around it. And we started this back in August. Um, it's transformed the firm. You guys went to the website. It's on our landing page. It's the first thing that's there. We have a whole page dedicated to the book and the training and the test. Um, but there's been days where like I've been drained and I have to still get up in front of my employees and let them know that the vision and the path and where we're trying to take this is there. Um, but I think if you're authentic, this goes back to your point, Sarah, if you're authentic, you don't need to be out the walls, off the wall energy all the time. You can be real with your employees. You know, this was a stressful week. We lost this client. We had this issue. This person left the company. Like you can be real with them and they can still understand that you're there. You may just not be at your 10 as you are sometimes. Yeah. I was just going to ask that question because that's a conversation I have in my personal home, which is I'm I'm an extrovert. I'm always at a 12. um, And when someday I'm at a two, it's like, well, you're normally at a 12. What's happening? But that, you know, you can't, you got to be authentic and you can't just put on a happy face to put on a happy face. There's a level of honesty that exists there. So yeah. I like that. I mean, it's, it's don't, you don't have to put on the mask all, mm-hmm. you know, and pretend like you're, you're something that you're not, or that you're in a place that you're not just own it. You maybe even include the person in the a solution process. Yeah. And then you're getting some buy-in from them and like why you are in the place you're in. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So if you develop trust, which is really the most important skill of relational intelligence, then you start to open the doors for the most powerful skill, which is cultivating influence. Mm-hmm. We define that as, again, as having a, the ability to have a positive and meaningful impact. That's the bold or capitalized word, impact on the lives of others. And so most people, they think of influence. It's kind of what am I trying to get done through another person? Where when you think about the piece on cultivating influence, it's about 
putting people and culture first before driving results and performance. Your people know that you have their back. It's about mentoring, coaching, providing consistent feedback. Most companies that we work with, they don't have feedback first cultures where people are comfortable doing it. Um, leaders who are relationally intelligent make it an effort to do that. Yeah. Um, so it's not about manipulation or control or authority. It's about really intentionally developing the people around you. I, I, man, I love that. And culture is one of those things. It's uh, It can have different definitions and take on different shapes and forms based on the organization. And curious, and I know it's kind of a tough question, but when you think about culture, like where does it show up for you at a high level or at a meaningful way for a business or a team? I think it shows up in how people show up in their jobs. If you're mm-hmm. building a strong culture, however you define the characteristics that make a strong culture, your people genuinely value what they're doing. They see that it's tied to a deeper vision than just their paycheck or just whatever they're doing day to day. And there's a sense of we're moving towards something together collectively. Like for my firm, relational intelligence is just not a book or a cute idea that we came up with to get new clients. Like we want to introduce this concept to the business world. We think that it can transform people's lives and their organizations. And I have a plan of 10 years of where we want to take this. And my people are aligned and bought into that plan and what it means for each of them individually. Like I mentioned, one of my employees who wants to take it back to China, that is part of the 10-year plan, but that's his piece that he he owns. Mm -hmm. So I think the other piece that's tied into culture is we use the word calling or purpose. When a team, when people have purpose, the why behind what they do, whether if they make widgets in a factory or whether they fly a jetliner, when I understand my why, I have a calling now. I have a reason, a purpose that I do what I do. And that's what builds strong cultures when you have everyone that's united around a vision, but it's tied to them individually by their own purpose. Yeah, I've, I've, I've gone around like how, from even from my own perspective on how to define purpose for myself, but also it's a question I get asked all the time when we run workshops or we do uh, keynotes, webinars, et cetera. They're like, okay, well, like, how do I define my purpose? And what I've said, and I'm curious to get your feedback is, you can start by aligning your your values and your goals. So it's like identify what your values are and set goals that are in alignment with those. And that can inform your purpose. But do you have any context there or perspective? When we have, when we train people, the question that we will ask, we'll say, okay, what is your why? Well, I'm coming here to get a paycheck. Okay. Well, what is your why? Well, I want to make sure we make our customers happy. Okay. But what is your why? What is the why behind what you're doing? You may have a what, I'm here to help grow the business or I'm here to put food on the table for my family. But what is your why? Why are you doing what you're doing? What is the impact you want it to have on others? Um, and so that's a powerful question when you get people to do it individually and then you have them come up with a purpose statement together. We just did an offsite a couple of months ago where we helped the team, a senior team, come up with a shared purpose. And we started it, Chris, with that one question, each of you at your own table, what is the why that you come into work? Mm. And we built it from there. That's, that's interesting. You know, and uh, once upon a time, I had a role that was in and around... Um, and safety. It's a long story, but there, there's a, a process called root cause analysis. I'm sure you're aware. And you, one of yeah, the yeah, things you root cause with is to ask the five whys, right? So ask why five times, get five answers to get to the root. So maybe there's something to that for, for purpose as well. You know, ask, yeah. ask but I like what why. you said. I think values and goals, like what is most important to you and where do you want to go? That's tied together intimately too. And that can help you to think through the purpose piece as well. Love that. Sarah, how do you think about purpose? <laughs> I think about purpose and the impact 
you know, and the legacy that gets left and what, wake, why do I wake up in the morning? That like that to me and, and the why, asking why is always the most simplistic question in my opinion, because it gets you to the root. Um, you, you both said some really powerful things there, which is, you know, you ask the question, you get to the root cause and that's probably why you're why. <laughs> so yeah. you said a really important thing too, the legacy that you want to leave. So we'll do that question towards the end of that workshop or that two-day that we do. What is the legacy you want to leave on your people? What is the legacy you want to leave on the organization? And if we want to get even higher level, what is the legacy you want to leave when you're, I mean, I'm sure people have said, use this analogy, like if people are at your funeral, what do you, they, what do you want them to have said about you? Um, and most people will go through that exercise and they'll say, you know, I change people's lives or I help this business become better for my efforts and stuff. And so that's another way to kind of get a backdoor into the why is kind of what is the legacy you want to leave for people? I love that because even as an organization, you can have that conversation. Like we're all gone and there's a new group of us that are running this organization. What are like, what are they picking up pieces and moving forward? Which is an interesting, interesting workshop. We should workshop that. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So establish rapport, understanding others, knowing their individual differences, developing trust, and cultivating influence. I hope I got those right. The five. We got it. Those are the five skills. Those the are five, five skills uh, yeah. for effective and powerful leadership or the qualities. That, is there anything else from your experience that you think is an important component of, 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 of leadership, you know, outside of those five that would be valuable? Yeah. To someone? I mean, I think when I think of leadership, I really think of three things. I think you have to set a vision for yourself and for your team. You got to know what the true North is. I think the second thing is, you need to get aligned on the values of who's around the table. And then you really got to invest in relationships. So those would be the three things that I think are important. Relational intelligence is, again, the blueprint for that last bucket. But, you know, as a leader, as a business owner, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Purpose is tied to vision. Where do you want to grow this business? And then do you have the right people around the table that are aligned with you, that are aligned with each other around core values, whether it's authenticity, Sarah, or whether it's financial profitability, whatever those values are, you want people around the table that have the same ones, because that's how you'll get through the difficult times. If you all have the same values, you won't cut corners because you're having a bad quarter. If you all have the same values, you won't treat people differently because you're not doing successfully right now. Um, so the values are critical. And then the relationships that you build. I love it. When For vision. Let's, let's talk about in it, like an individual, a person reflecting on their vision, because I think it would shift based on the, the the context most likely. But for vision, like what kind of distance do you recommend people think about when they're trying to establish their vision? Like how far out should they be thinking? Where should they orient yeah. themselves? So I'll tell you a funny personal story. So I um, played basketball, high school and college. And, you know, growing up, shaved my head when I was like 12 because I wanted to be like Mike. And <laughs> all I knew was setting goals for basketball. My father one summer introduced me to a cassette tape. I'm dating myself, but a cassette tape from Tony Robbins. And Tony talked about developing goals in all areas of your life and set a vision for your future. And so I was blessed to start doing that at 15. And in one of the tapes I listened to from Tony, it was set a vision 10 years from now. And so I've been doing that as a practice every year. I usually do it the week between Christmas and New Year's where I'll kind of have a reflection of like, I'll take two hours a day and just say, okay, let's map out next year. Um, I have a 10 year already, but let's map out next year and I'll start very general. What's the word for next year? My word for this year was unleash. I wanted to unleash this idea, relational intelligence to the business world. And everything that I did, I did a word cloud was around that idea. 
Um, and then I built my goals from that. But so I've been doing it since I was 15, 10 years out as the kind of window. And so we encourage our clients to do the same thing. 10 years is enough time where you can set something that's ambitious, but not too far. It's not like saying by the end of my career, 30 years from now, I want to do X, Y, Z. But 10 years, you can build back from 10 years. If your 10-year plan is to be the head of sales for a pharmaceutical company and you're a rep right now, you can take steps back. Well, in five years, I want to be a regional manager. In two and a half years, I want to be a district manager. So you can work through that. So I would say 10 years is a good window. I love it. Yeah. It's a lot of similarity to how we approach that. And do you do you find that as you get closer to your the present, that you need to become more narrow, more specific, more tangible towards that that vision or those goals? Yeah, I mean, so smart goals, that's a classic thing that people use, you know, being, you know, attainable is it, you know, something that can be achievable. So yeah, I think as you go from the 10 year to the five year to the three year to the one year. What can I do today <laughs> to move in that direction? What can I do next week? What can I do this quarter? Um, it could be simple things, picking up a book, listening to a podcast, like, but there are things you can do. And that's something I learned from Tony, like whatever goals you set, take immediate action now. And so a goal by itself is just an idea. Taking action is what moves you in that direction. Love it. Yeah. What can you do today in alignment with your your broader vision? And I think that's for some people, for a lot of people, it's really easy to get stuck in the in what's right in front of your face, and you're acting uh, in short distances. And you you really need to hit pause, pick your head up, look out, figure out where you want to go, so it informs the things that you need to do today, or at least the things you should not be saying no to. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. All right. So this has been awesome. There's so much powerful content you have around leadership qualities and, and your new book sounds like a definite read for me, by the way. So I'm going to pick that up, Awesome, uh, awesome. but I'd, I'd love to, to hear from you. If you could have our audience just take away one thing from the conversation today, what would that be? The one thing that I would say, if you want to build dynamic relationships, personally, personally, or professionally, there's really three things that you need to do. You need to be intentional about how you build relationships you need to be vulnerable in terms of putting yourself out there and telling your story and being who you are. And you need to be authentic in doing the whole process. The book, Relational Intelligence, the first part looks at the five skills is a chapter on each skill. The second part of the book looks at the application of relational intelligence between your family, your friends, your business, your romantic relationships. But all those skills and all those things, if you're not intentional, vulnerable, and authentic, it won't make a difference because everyone builds relationships differently. I love that you can use this across every facet of your life, personal, professional, family, you name it. This book can help you in so many different ways. Adam, where do our listeners go if they're interested in purchasing the book or learning? Yeah, absolutely. So we just had our website completely updated. It's brand new. So they can go to bandelliandassociates.com. That's bandelli, A-N-D, associates, all one word.com. You'll find information there about where you can get the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books. It's in Target and Walmart and all those stores as well. You'll find out about our test, which will be live January 1st. So you'll learn a little bit more about the test and kind of what that will focus on to help you grow in your relational intelligence. And then you'll also learn about our training and development around it. We have the two-day immersive experience called the Relational Intelligence Experience. But your listeners can also do podcasts that we have to, on it. We have training and webinars. So there's a lot of different offerings that we have under our Relational Intelligence umbrella. Um, but the website would be a great place to go. You can follow me on Instagram too, Adam Bandelli, or on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter. Uh, and we're always releasing content around some of the new research we're doing on relational intelligence. So those are good places to go as well. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure getting to listen about relational intelligence. And we're so pleased to have you. Thanks, Adam. Awesome. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.